Welcome to the Avance Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Nick. And it's recording. It's recording. Woohoo. <laughs> yeah, you pushed all the buttons. The red Congratulations. On. Yeah, red light, the red light's on. That's probably not good. Yeah. <laughs> how, you, how are you? I'm good. You're good? I'm bleeding. You're bleeding? Yeah, my puppy. Oh, yeah. His teething, oh, little razor yeah. teeth. Yes, I'm aware. You're I'm aware? aware. <laughs> yeah, I pulled one out of my skin. So, yeah. Uh, beautiful dog. Uh, vicious creature. Yeah. 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 Have you seen the movie Critters? Yeah. Yeah, he's one of those. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> a little more evil, though. A little more. Uh, I have to give a quick shout out to an Avance member, and I do not know who this is. Um, I was driving home today up um, up on the Squaw Plateau, and the uh, this brand new WRX, like in the in that burnt orange, like brand brand yeah. new. And you know, I'm questioned about that, but uh, on the back is, of course, is, a, is an Avance license plate. But that didn't make me laugh, and I was try- I, I would have waved at the person. But what really made me laugh was the sticker on the back of the car that said, "New driver, yeah, I'm as scared as you are." <laughs> and I went, I went, okay, well, so whoever that is, uh, shout out to you. Uh, I don't know what you were doing up there, maybe going to the hospital or something. But uh, yeah. yeah, shout out. So beautiful car. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, uh, we are missing out on an Avance event tonight. It's the, uh, there's a social gathering at the gas lamp in Issaquah that I would have loved to have been at. But uh, we are recording. At least you get invited. I don't get invited to those things. It's on the calendar. Oh. <laughs> yeah, okay. I just think the There's calendar. a lot of things on the calendar. <laughs> I just, yeah, okay. What is, it's a gas, what's it at? I didn't know that. I actually did not know that. <laughs> oh, it's a, just a restaurant down there. That they okay. Do. Yeah, nice. We need to go check it out. Anyway. Very cool. Sorry to our listeners. I would have loved but to have been there. Is that down in Issaquah by the railroad tracks? I think so. You got to be careful crossing those on a bike. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Should a great tuck and roll, though. Yes, yes. <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a Carter Automotive Group tip of the week this week. Uh, this was this came from uh, a funny conversation I had in a Ford Raptor group. Um, the Ford Raptors second gens are notorious for having a plastic oil drain plug, which is a great. Smart. Thing. Yeah, real smart. Real yeah. smart. Uh, metal metal pan, plastic plug. Yeah, anyway. On an off-road truck. How can that go bad? How can that go bad? Sure. Actually, you know, I haven't heard a lot of horror stories about it, except the fact that it's not reusable. And somebody, yeah, obviously you take it's a one-time use thing. Sure, but the, there is a plus side to those because you can't over-torque them. That's kind of the general idea. But if you over-torque them, wouldn't you just shave off the edges and then you wouldn't be able to get no, it? No, you would. It would break entirely. Yeah, but, but would it? Um, my point is, every time I break something, half of it's still broken inside yes. the machine. So yeah, I'm just saying okay. I understood what they were thinking. <laughs> Got it. They don't okay. do it anymore. So if that tells you anything oh. about how that went, lesson down. learned. Anyway, okay. but they yeah. were asking, hey, has anybody found a, d- a different solution? Um, for this oil pan mm-hmm. or just a drain plug. I said, have you used ever used a Fumoto valve? Fumoto valve. That's hard to say with braces. <laughs> F-U-M-O-T-O. Anyway, uh, what they do is it's just literally like a little drain valve and it has a locking lever and it allows you to drain the oil. And I've been using these things for about 20 years. And to be, to be clear, I would never use this on a vehicle where my oil, oil pan wasn't covered. And if the oil plug was straight down out of the pan versus a side exit, I probably wouldn't do that either. In the truck, it's recessed under a skid plate. Like there's, if you hit that, you got bigger problems going on. But um, anyway, somebody chimed in. They're like, "Yeah, but don't they drain really slow?" I was like, "Well, yeah. If you don't open the oil filler cap, and then break the seal, Steve." Well, he replied with a dot 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 like. (laughs) It just uh, finally occurred to him. Dot, 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 duh. Do yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, if you've never used one of these things before, you're trying to get rid of a, a go away from a plastic oil drain plug, or you just want a really easy and convenient way to drain your oil, they work great. They don't leak. Um, like I said, I've been using them for about 20 years on everything from Porsches to trucks to my Land Cruiser, everything under the sun. Yeah. And if you have one of those oil drain plugs, this is where they also come in handy, where they just drain oil over like every piece of the motor. What they also allow you to do is put in a little plastic tube. You can just connect it on there, and then it allows you to put the oil where you want it to go instead of going, you know, all over your engine because the engineers didn't talk to the designers. Yeah. So, or the engineering team didn't talk to the subframe team, whatever, you know, that goes. Anyway, um, if you haven't used them before and you're trying to solve that problem, look, check them out. They're about 30 bucks on average is what I've found. Um, I, I had one on the cross track. I, I, I need one on the wilderness. I was going to go the way my grandfather used to do things where he'd just, you know, weld the, the oil closed and you just had to suck it out from the top it was really easy like a boat yeah pretty much <laughs> yep. I you can it. drain a boat with it, never mind <laughs> it's upside down yep <laughs> i do have one of those we talked about that on the show they work great if you don't have access to a drain, pl- drain plug it's a great way to no my grandfather out. was nuts this was not this is like <laughs> epoxy things okay yeah oh, so i stripped it out he was an engineer too he knew better also yeah. fun fact if you ever lose your drain plug on most cars the same thread pitch that's for your drain plug is for your spark plugs so just use a spark plug? If you have an extra spark plug lying around. Just run a line down you there. You can literally like temporarily yeah. 
close your drain plug with a spark plug. I've seen it done many times over the years. It is not a permanent fix, but if you'd like to keep your oil in your, en- in your engine, it's an optional thing. So many fun things. I'm thinking, I know. But okay, yeah. Gotcha. You know somebody's hooked it up before. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Why is it smoking? <laughs> it's like those people that put spark plugs in their exhaust pipes. Yeah. Anyway, on to somebody who has better ideas in the automotive world than we do. Uh, Amir Bentatu. You do a lot of stuff. Welcome to the show. We want to talk all about your endeavors, Aero, Discovery Channel, racing. He know. needs to get a real job. I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, man. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, for Moto Valve, I actually had one on my 911. Amazing piece of kit. Yeah. Loved yeah. it. See? We didn't even pay him to say that. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just here as a listening along, and you guys are absolutely right. <laughs> I back it. I there back it. So you're with uh, RS Future is your company. Um, tell us about a little bit about you and your company and what you do. Yeah, so uh, I guess a little bit about myself. I've been driving for about 16 years, and like many of us in this community, I, you know, driving was the leading factor to everything that happened. I uh, realized very early on that it was very expensive and uh, started competing, and as, you know, things got competitive and in Time Attack, which is the... Uh, avenue of motorsport that I'm the most involved in, it gets incredibly expensive. So I uh, started making parts for my car and eventually some people are like, hey, can you make some of that for mine? And I did. And then I started RS Future based on that premise. And from there, took a lot of that and kept so going. So do you have an engineering background? I mean, as far as, or do, are you just sort of self-taught? <laughs> I, I'm a college dropout. <laughs> so to give you an idea, like I, I uh, dropped out of college because my parents were in the uh, mortgage business back during the crisis. And then I got a job at Wonderbread for $10 an hour and I bought every engineering and uh, aerodynamic book I could find and essentially self-taught myself for about 10 years. Cool. No shame in that. That's a I great mean, way to go. It's probably a hell of a lot cheaper education than <laughs> yeah. getting a real engineering <laughs> degree and I think I'd probably trust him more. So. Yeah. yeah, and uh, get to work with some very real motorsport engineers, and none of them have called me an idiot yet, so I think I'm on the right track. I'm doing okay. That's a good start. I was going to say, I'd say you're yeah. doing more than okay. Um, I've seen your arrow work. You have uh, <laughs> uh, wings that work, I like to say, instead mm. of having the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you trying to tell me the wing on the back of a Honda Civic is not functional? Unfortunately, it usually is functional oh, yeah, in the worst way possible. Yeah. <laughs> you want all that downforce on the front-wheel drive car. Everybody knows that. I'm not even an engineer. I've read a book once. Wheelies. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, just kidding. Uh, your NSX is what, obviously, I think, I thought probably maybe the most famous car I've seen from you because I've seen that car a lot. Um, yeah, I, I'd say that's what I'm most known for in terms of like the yeah. scene. And it is a beauty proper pop-up headlight NSX, by the way. So a real NSX. A real <laughs> NSX, yeah. 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 Oh, that hybrid uh, crap. I, 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 I hate to disappoint, but we switched to the fixed headlights and now we have carbon headlights. So we, But it was a very hard thing for me to change. I, uh, I'm with you on that. The fixed headlights are definitely my, my favorite. So I know the right question. <laughs> How much weight did that save you? Uh, well, actually, so... Uh, in Time Attack, there's lots of loopholes. I actually gained weight. I'm one of the only people that did because what I did was I took the uh, pop-up headlights out. I loved the look of them closed. And in Time Attack, what I did was I took all of the actual weight out of it. So it was just a few ounces of covers. And then I took the fog lights out and 3D printed some housings and made headlights there. So I actually picked up weight by going to the fixed. But then what I did was I uh, now, in Unlimited Class, we went to carbon covers. Okay, so. cool. Very cool. All right. Yeah. So I was wrong. It wasn't weight savings. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. was, but uh, I just cheated the system a little bit beforehand. You know, I, I I love the color gray and rules, and I normally try to find it everywhere I can. I racing in general. That's smart <laughs> yeah. racing. That's not, yeah, yeah. That's just how you're supposed to do it. It's not against the rules unless there's a rule against it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell us about um, time attack, downforce. Like, I mean, there's so many questions I have about all the arrow on your car and how you design it all. I mean, the ma- actually, here's a great one. Splitter, spoiler, and a wing. Can you tell me the difference between a, a splitter, a spoiler, a wing, uh, all that? They're spelled differently. Very yeah. good. Very good question. So uh, a splitter is on the front of the car, and that's going to be kind of like the flat blade that essentially splits the air between the bumper and under the car. Uh, The goal there is to get a high pressure zone on top of the bumper, low pressure zone on the splitter. The difference in pressures 
sucks the car down to the ground, so that's your splitter. A wing is in free air, so typically that's the thing sticking off the back of the car. Uh, what we produce are wings, so big GT wings you see on the back of pretty much every race car. That's a, uh, a wing. And then a spoiler is normally attached to the back of the car, more NASCAR style, where it's like a big, uh, almost like giant gurney flap attached to the deck lid, and that would be a spoiler. Okay. But what if you put a spoiler on the front of the car? You know exactly which car I'm thinking about. You're too. thinking of a wing on the front of the car. No, I'm thinking. Is it a wing? Would it be a on wing? On the Countach? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It'd be a wing. I guess it would be a wing, it, wouldn't it? It's yeah. raised off the front front hood. So it's it'd be a hideous, wing. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not easy on the eyes, but that is a front yeah. wing. And if you look in Time Attack, actually, there was a Scion TC that was pretty friggin' fra uh, fast that had a front wing that was on the front of it. It was called the Fwing. <laughs> you know, kind of nickname. But they literally put a front wing on the front of the car. And if you were to look it up, it's a Scion TC by Chris Rado. So it had two wings, one on the front, one on the back. And it was shockingly effective. And recently on an E92 M3, I think it is, someone in NASA, I think in the Texas region, ran one until it got banned. <laughs> so it was working. Very, very ugly. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Arguable if that's the best solution. I don't think it is because you typically disrupt the rest of the airflow around the car. But, you know, it's a big hammer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it kind of works if you look at like the 488 Pista, for example. Or 458, uh, the, the too. Duck. Where it kind of sucks yeah. in through the front and comes yeah. up. I mean, it's not the same thing because yeah. it's not a wing. But, I mean, I guess I see what that's the... That's a hole, Dan. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a hole giant hole. Similar <laughs> <laughs> I see what they were going for. Yeah, How okay. much downforce do you add, or are you? I mean, I know it's calculated, so it's not just a matter of bigger is uh -huh. better. But uh, how much downforce is added with your wings to your, like your NSX or your Time Attack cars? Or so uh, we were in street class before, which is a front, a large front splitter and a large rear mm -hmm. wing. Uh, we're not allowed an underbody, any sort of underbody arrow. And with that, we uh, were able to calculate right around twelve hundred pounds of downforce. So it's still they're large pieces. The front. Uh, bumper we ran part of the reason we went to pop up or uh, fixed headlights was spoon sports makes a replica of the nsx rgt bumper which has a very long protrusion so think uh, like gt1 porsches mm -hmm. gt1 mercedes where they had very long overhangs so we kind of exploited that rule in the class and had a giant front splitter our big wing and uh made right around 1200 pounds of downforce like 180 miles Dang. per hour so I, w I want to talk about that because as far as extending the rears and extending the, the length of the car like that, because I mean, I, I think of like the McLarens, but I also, the first thing I think of is the classic, um, the Roadrunners and things like that in NASCAR. Oh, yeah. When they, when they, when they, they stretched yeah. the nose and they put that <laughs> giant wing and they were so good that they told them it was illegal, things yeah. like that. But like, you know, yeah. <laughs> you look at some of the, the different things and, I'm, and obviously I'm thinking a different class of racing, but you look at the McLaren F1 and then when they put that LM, you know, and yeah. stretch the nose, stretch the tail was so much better. Yeah, and that was a reaction to the Porsche GT1 and the Mercedes uh, CLR uh, LMs and whatnot. And so the bigger the overhang is, the typically it's like a leverage effect. So kind of like a torque wrench, the further forward or further back you put it, the more it's going to have an effect. And what happened was part of the reasons why the Mercedes were famous for flipping is because of that big overhang, and it actually got banned. They changed the rules on overhangs after the Mercedes. Yeah, to our listeners, if you haven't, I mean, it's an infamous in the car community, but just go online and type in Mercedes GTR flip. flip and just watch. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, yeah. terrifying <laughs> to watch. Yeah. But that was, that was mainly yeah. for high-speed stability, right? Yeah. The uh, so the thing is, you'll do, uh, or like for aerodynamics, the everything you're doing is going to be primarily for downforce. The problem is if, uh, with a lot of these cars, if you get air under it where it's not designed yeah. to be, the car essentially becomes a wing and takes off. Like the, the natural profile of a car, especially like let's say anything race car related where it has a sleek profile, the upper body of the car is a wing. So the car wants to take <laughs> off. And that's why if you look at you a create lift, modern... Exactly. Yeah. And like modern LMP1 cars, if you look at the big cutouts on prototypes at IMSA or World Endurance Championship, they have these huge cutouts. And that was also a rule that was implemented after that so that that way there couldn't be too much lift on the underside of the body. That just relieves the, the pressure, correct? Okay. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. So you learn something yeah. new every day. Yeah, I learned. Yeah. It's not just pretty <laughs> and fast. Yeah. <laughs> I apologize to your listeners. I'm a massive nerd. No, we love that stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think you forget we're, we're based in Redmond. Like, that's all, it's yeah. like all tech nerds up here. Tech bros, as they call us. Yeah. Nick's like, what are you talking about? I don't know what he's you're not, talking about. He's not one. Exactly. I'm one. Whatever. They don't allow me anywhere near Microsoft. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Microsoft. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. 
So, I mean, obviously, were you, a, were you kind of the kid that was always tinkering with stuff? I mean, it sounds like you just sort of went out and decided you were going to become an engineer. Um, you know, were you taking the phone apart and things like that as a kid? You know, the funny part is not quite as much. I was more so very active. Like, I liked sports, wanted to be outside constantly. And then the more I got into cars, the more I realized, uh, like, I was you know, not exactly wealthy when I grew up and uh, my background, which led to more necessity. And the more that necessity came into it as I got older, like in my early 20s, the more I realized I liked it. You know, like I like to, I like Legos, like tearing things apart, doing all that fun stuff. But I wouldn't say, like you hear amazing stories of kids that would like tear apart their dad's diesel engine out of their, you know, random things. And then their dad would be pissed off because they couldn't put it back together. <laughs> Wasn't that kid, but uh, definitely loved playing with things, but not to that extent. Oh, fair. What really sparked your interest? Then? Just, just getting into cars and realizing and wanting to mod them the right way, or like what scene was the influence? Yeah, like uh, so when I was like 13, 14, back before the Nurburgring was like a buzzword, uh, <laughs> I uh, picked up an. I got, my dad was really into European cars, and he liked BMWs. So my first car was an 81 320i back cool. when I was 15 and my driver's permit and i loved bmws and ultimate driving machine and i definitely drank that bmw kool-aid so uh when i was younger i picked up a um a european car magazine and it showed the e46 m3 the v8 the gtrs and it was like bmw wins nurburgring and i was like oh what is this and i read about it and in the magazine they talked about how big of a party it was while also being a super serious race and bmw killed it and i'd always liked the motorsport aspect of cars i just didn't know what i liked and that kind of got me on the path of sports cars so from there i kind of fell in love with that and uh, started learning about it. The Nurburgring was like a became a huge thing for me uh, at the time, and that led to the love of motorsport. And then basically, I would say that 320i. I was in high school, sold it, got a 325i in college, sold that when I moved back to California, got another 320i, and started playing with that. And that led to the more motorsport uh, style of tuning that I eventually got me to where I am today. What was your first race like? When, what, when was that transition? Um, so my first race was a 24 hour of lemons race and I had never raced before. Race. And I was with, <laughs> That's yeah, awesome. it was Love fun. It. Yeah. Yeah. And I was with three guys that were like pretty good at what they did. And at that point I'd done a lot of tracking autocross, like faked my way into becoming like a driver. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, I totally know what I'm doing. <laughs> But uh, was with them, and we were in a uh, X Long Beach Grand Prix celebrity race Celica. So like total cheater car, to the point where like when we went to tech, we filled it with a bunch of vodka and Tito's and uh, rums to you know bribe the tech people. And they're like, you guys have an 80 lap like kind of uh, penalty. And like, they're like, who welded this cage together? Like TRD, you know, kind of thing. Somebody that knows so, what the hell they're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Uh, and then did that race, and what happened was, you know, the first driver went out, and they're like, okay, you'll go second. And we broke the car, and I have a, at that point, I was pretty mechanically, uh, you know, savvy. So I fixed the car, went out for the second stint, and at that point, because the car broke, we were something like, out of 120 people, we were like 92nd. And when I got out of the car after four hours, we were like in 42nd place. And a lot of these experienced racers were like, wait, you've never raced wheel to wheel? And I was like, no. And they're like, okay, cool. So they had a maximum drive time rule. They're like, okay, go walk in the trailer, take your helmet off and then come back out and then go put your helmet back on and then come back in the car. So I did eight hours straight in the car, or no, sorry, four hours straight in the car. And that was my first wheel to wheel experience. And it was 114 degrees of button below. Oh, and I'm pretty sure I had heat stroke by the time I got out, but it was amazing. Absolutely loved it. You're good. <laughs> Don't get out of the car. But I'm going to die. <laughs> what, did you guys finish? Did the car last long enough? Uh, so the worst part was by the time I got out of the car after I think it was like four or five hours, I'd gotten us back into the top 20 and I was like, okay, cool. Like we're good. So we made up a ton of positions and it's lemons. Like it's not yeah. like we were at Daytona and I made up that many positions, but it's like, you know, okay, cool. So we went from like 80, 90th to 20th and we're like, okay, we're doing good. And I was so tired that I went to sleep. And when I woke up, they were like, okay, you're going to be out in like 20 minutes. And all of those guys that were the experienced racers had apparently gotten like 14 black flags and they, we had to park the car. Like when I was about to go in for like three hours and I got in for like the last 30 minutes and we finished probably like second to last, but it was still an amazing experience. As long as you had fun. I mean, who cares? And you yeah. finished because in lemons, like yeah. finishing is part of the race. 
that's a Remember win. when you ran me off the track and I got black flagged? Dan? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Just start ticking. Rubbing Just start ticking. Yeah. <laughs> no. How are you rubbing to me, throw me off the track, and I get black flagged? I was in front of you. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. Uh, my new partner. You're good at what you yeah, do. right? Freaking go-karts. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Lemons, that's a hell of a start, and uh, yeah, a long time in the seat, and so you just got addicted after that. Um, uh, what was the transition yeah. transition from this is fun to this is money? Because that's a hard thing to do in racing. It, it is. So uh, when I started driving, I was uh, far from wealthy, and uh, I kind of lucked out into a coaching kind of like, okay, if you come, you can drive for free if you coach, and. Uh, situation. I'd never been on the track before. So, but they were like, oh, we heard you're like a decent driver. Can you come coach? Have you been on track before? And I was like, oh, of course I have. You know, kind of just lied my way into it. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, I was like, I've I've definitely been on this track like multiple times. Uh, Then had a student that was very happy and like, please come back. So I was like, okay, cool. And then that started paying me as a coach. And uh, at first it started as, well, I can drive for free or get, make a couple bucks on the weekend, you know, like, I could make $300 coaching on the weekend versus guys that were paying $300 to be there. And for what my budget was, it was like, okay, cool. I could, that pays for tires. That pays to get there. You know, I don't ever have to pay for a track day. So it started as that. And I was doing like 40, 50 days a year and did that for like six, seven years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So the organization I was with, they were like, okay, basically most weekends out of the year, they were doing full weekends. And I got a massive amount of experience and a massive amount of connections and people that I kind of worked with. And uh, I'd been a big fan of Time Attack just from being a JDM nerd, despite being a Euro guy. And this the organization I was with started a Redline Time Attack back up. So Redline Time Attack was like one of the big Time Attacks back in mm-hmm. 2000. I guess you could say four to 2009 before it went defunct. And uh, then in 2014, they started it back up and I was around. So I got to compete essentially for free since I was helping out and uh, was able to kind of do my passion. I built an M3 and did that. And through that started, uh, I was working at a BMW and Porsche shop at the time as well. So I noticed that a lot of people were coming to the shop because of the fact that I was competing. And they're like, oh, hey, we saw that you won. You're obviously doing something good. Can you help us out? And kind of like, you know, sparked, or I should say, turned on the light bulb on my head. I was like, okay, cool. So maybe there is money behind this. And a few years later, decided I'm going to branch out on my own. And the reason was that the shop I was working at, it essentially got to the point where I was running it and it couldn't run without me. And so my time became, I had maybe 10 days off. And all 10 of those days were dedicated to traveling for time attack. So... I was like, you know what, if I want to continue to do this more seriously, I'm going to have to leave my job and start a shop. And on January 1st, 2020, right before the pandemic, started my own shop. <laughs> Great timing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, it, it, Excellent. It kind, of, it, it kind of was, though, because oh, we had 100%. that little dip, and then it was like, I want car projects, yeah. the entire world. <laughs> exactly. So, and like, I know every, like, being, I'm a lot of friends, or I'm friends with a lot of the guys here in the Southern California industry, which is like for the import market, it's essentially everyone. And in 2020, 2021, it was like best year ever on top of best yeah. year ever. So it was kind of like unfortunate in the sense of like, oh shit, I'm nervous. But after that, you know, luckily things did pretty okay. And uh, here we are today, <laughs> which has led to a lot of other opportunities. Uh, can you give us a basic breakdown of Time Attack for listeners that may not know what that is? Yeah, so uh, Time Attack is essentially, uh, I guess, from its most fundamental way of looking at it, imagine like time trials, but uh, not boring. And <laughs> Pretty good definition. Yeah. 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 yeah, so Time Attack, it's more so like the cars are the stars, and you have these pretty insane cars that uh, at the top level are faster than the highest level of, you know, like North American motorsport in terms of like closed cockpit cars like a top level time attack car is faster than any production based like gt3 car gt2 car anything like that but it can do it for like one or two laps so they're normally incredibly high downforce very high power like some of the guys at the pointy end are like 11 1200 horsepower at the wheels um the cars are very light like my car weighs 1950 so we just switched to the unlimited class so it's like 1950 it makes about 
700 to 750 at the wheels on high boost and in the current configuration we're switching from about i would say 1200 pounds of downforce to probably 2500 pounds of downforce so high downforce high power very low weight and the cars are ridiculous to drive and ridiculously fast and that's what makes it very exciting you know and it's a sport that started in japan as tuner shops competing against each other to be like you know we can make the fastest car cool so let's let's talk about your infamous car. Let's talk about this NSX. How did this happen? I mean, obviously, like you know, I'm a big BMW fan, and I understand it's very easy to, to start loving, like you said, going into the JDM and stuff. But why did you pick that car? So I've always loved Japanese cars uh, or Japanese styling and Japanese cars, but I'd always been a Euro guy. So uh, I had an E36 M3. I'd worked at a BMW shop. It made sense. That was my first time attack car. And it was in what's called the enthusiast class. There's four levels. So enthusiast, street, limited, and unlimited. And it goes from essentially enthusiast is cars you could drive to and from work to unlimited, which is what I was talking about earlier. And I had won the enthusiast class championship. We went we essentially went like an undefeated season. Everything went very well. We're like, okay, let's go to street class, which is a very big jump. Like, uh, despite being called street class, uh, the cars are essentially full race cars, faster than GT4 cars, despite being on street tires with a tire limitation. So it's a big commitment, big jump. And I started the build, and uh, the engine builder was taking too long. The cage was taking too long. And I'd set a bunch of money aside to take my car to Japan and was like, okay, cool, I have this money. And I bought the NSX instead since it seemed like nothing was going to happen. And I was like, oh, this will be a great car. I can take it to dinner with my girlfriend. I've always wanted one. It's a dream car. I'll be very responsible. You know, keep it fairly stock. (laughs) That's how it always starts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the slippery slope. Uh, And then I took it to the track and I fell in love with the car and was like, this thing's incredible. Like, uh, because of coaching, I get to drive a lot of very fun, cool cars that I have no business driving. And uh, McLarens, I would say, are probably my favorite in that sense, where like the chassis is so rigid, they make so yep. much power, they're like phenomenal cars uh, on track, as long as you don't have to pay for the maintenance. Nicholas <laughs> uh, said the exact same thing. Yeah. Nobody makes a better chassis, in our opinion, than McLaren. There's other cars, I, but the, from a chassis point of view, oh, incredible. It's where it's at. Yeah couldn't agree more like and i'm fortunate in the sense that i'll get out of like a 48 pista and then hop into a 765 so like back to backing it and it's like the 765 just blows its doors off in terms of uh the chassis itself like um so i'd really love the way mclaren's drove and i drove the nsx and i was like this is the only car that's ever given me the chassis feeling of like the way it rotates the way it does everything i want it to do and fell in love and then was like okay cool um i I'm one of the founders of a series called Vita Club USA, which is a time attack series based around Hondas. And it's like all Hondas. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to build a car for Vita Club, which could be very mild to pretty extreme. And I was like, I'm going to do that. And I started building it. And the more I built it, the more I fell in love with it. And uh, it was also a high mileage car. It was a one of those things where I was at a at dinner with a friend and was like, hey, if you ever want to sell it, let me know knowing it would i'd probably get it a good deal and then he hit me up and was like okay i want to sell it sold it to me uh so i knew the engine might be tired and i was like if it ever fails i'm gonna go k20 and if i did i'd go a little crazy with it in typical honda fashion the engine never failed but (laughs) 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 uh but and despite having like 10,000 track miles after i bought it so it went from like 214 to 224 like all track miles and i like the car so much and the e36 like i looked at the two platforms and from a you know potential of what they were capable of it just made sense to switch to the nsx and kind of hit the ground running there and uh, switched from it being my responsible street car to my full-on competition car. is it street legal still it has a license okay. plate. Yes. <laughs> so the answer is yes. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah okay. What is your What is uh, now your mild mannered daily driver? Uh, as most racers will probably tell you, it's a twenty five hundred Silverado right. diesel. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> something to pull a race car. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Yeah. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. I love that you got a high mileage car. I was um, listening to Bagnus Walker of all people the other day about mm-hmm. his latest deal. So he goes, "The trick now." He goes, "The market is you just buy high mileage because mm-hmm. high mileage cars people are still afraid of. But if you like, you're in, if you're in like Avance, you can find somebody who you know is probably taking better." care of their 200,000 mile car than most people have with their 30,000 mile car. So go, out and, drive, so go exactly. out and drive your car, people, because yes, somebody will buy exactly. it. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> yeah. 
Precisely, precisely. Yeah. And the good thing about a high mileage car is that you typically have to maintain it mm -hmm. because you're driving it. So often if you have something like a Honda or like a Porsche where they're notoriously reliable and like good cars, a high mileage car is really nothing to be scared about. Like I, my 911 was, I think like 130, 140, which in the 911 world was pretty high. And the car w essentially ran flawlessly, never left me stranded. Yeah, because most parents Notorious, those notoriously right. reliable. I love that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, well stated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you, I mean, you do more than race, obviously. The shop builds more than aero. You guys are tuning. Yes. Um, tell, how, where did the name RS Future come from? Let's start with that. Uh, so RS stands for race service. Okay. And then Future was just one of those things I'd been, I knew I was going to start the business. And before it was kind of like a joke thing where we had a team called Marvelous Tune, just like, which is from a Taylor Swift lyric. <laughs> I was like, I can't have a business named after a Taylor right Swift there. lyric. <laughs> no, I love yeah. it. So, well, because Marvelous Tune sounds very JDM and I was like, oh, that sounds like so appropriate. And then the joke is that, no, that's just Taylor Swift. <laughs> so we did that for like, my friends and I had it on all of our time attack cards. And I was like, well, if I'm going to start a business, I have to do something a little bit more legit than that. <laughs> and uh, like future is kind of one of those things where uh, like in racing, you're never kind of, you don't think about what's happening right now. Like if you've done work for months, years, weeks to get to where you are right now. You're always thinking in the future. So race service future just kind of made sense in this like, to me that we're always looking towards the future of like okay what can we do to improve let's take the failures that we have how do we turn those failures into successes and that's always like a future like a future thought yeah. so that's where the name came from that makes interesting. sense interesting i still think marvelous uh, tune would have been funny too but could have gone with that you should <laughs> not tell people sponsored by tay tay yep. yeah yeah sure <laughs> understood we still we still have sweatshirts. I'll send oh, you guys yeah. a call. Oh, that would be <laughs> the crap yeah, out of that. Exactly. I, I would absolutely wear the crap out of that. <laughs> so, uh, talk about what you're kind of doing now. I know you got a few a few projects this this year's kind of filling up. What what's going on with you? Yeah. So, um, fortunately, as soon as I left my day job, you know, naturally nervous that I was going to have to do Uber or something else to fill up the hours. <laughs> still driving. Still driving. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Still yeah. driving. And nothing wrong no. with that. I was like, oh, at least I could, I could, I'd love to do something, you know, maybe make a few yeah. bucks. But luckily hit the ground running. And so the aerodynamics was how the business started. And we also do a lot of builds. Um, when I say a lot, we have a, an aspect of the business called RS Future Special Projects, where unlike most shops, you know, like someone calls and says, oh, I have an S2000, I need coilovers installed. I would refer them elsewhere. We typically only take on fairly large builds that are uh, motorsport oriented. So we do that as well. Um, and then on the somewhat RS Future related side, like I'm a pretty big data nerd and I started data engineering for a Ferrari Challenge team last year and this year I'm doing it for an Aston Martin GT4 team. So uh, Schwest Pavolito Racing uh, in SRO, I'll be doing their data engineering and kind of uh, anything else I can do with them this year and that takes up, I think like there's nine events so that's a big chunk of the year. Um, what, in, what is entailed in data engineering for a race team? What, what are you so doing? <laughs> Yeah. So a few things. Uh, so with data engineering, like naturally the cars are outfitted with uh, data systems. Like on Ferrari Challenge, they use a Magneti Morelli system. Uh, in GT4, we're using a Bosch and a Motec system. So uh, the cars log all sorts of uh, data parameters from GPS speed, which is the most basic. Like if someone, if some of your listeners are going to a track day and they want to look at the most kind of easy thing to look at to compare. GPS speed is it. And then from like shock position, uh, all sorts of engine parameters, uh, you know, various other things you look at, and you're looking at a combination of reliability and then performance engineering as well. So you're looking at all of the data to figure out A, what makes the car reliable, or if there's an issue, you find it before it actually becomes a problem. And then in terms of performance, you'll look at it and either talk to the driver or talk to the uh, lead engineer to figure out what we need to do in the setup. So a lot of data, a lot of figuring out when electronics go bad, you're fixing that kind of stuff. You wear a lot of hats. Sure. Huh. Yeah, very very cool. cool. Okay. See, I, I yeah. actually did not know that. So, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I interrupt you. And, and what else is going on this year? <laughs> yeah. And I would say the, uh, and I'm you know, still working with that Ferrari Challenge team when I can. And then the last thing I'm doing is I can't share too many details because we haven't uh, announced exactly the premise of it, but I'm hosting a show as a builder that's going to be on Discovery Channel uh, and Motor Trend uh, related to the import 
car scene and culture. So uh, we'll be building a lot of cool cars that are involved in everything from, you know, time attack, drifting, um, show cars, all sorts of things. So that's that's a big chunk of the schedule as He's well. He's doing Monster Garage with Taylor Swift. I can tell you. I would <laughs> so, love that. Oh, my that. God. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How to make this car pinker. <laughs> as long as it's with Taylor Swift, you can do it. Yeah, yeah. Right, well, you helped launch her that. career, so she owes you. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm waiting on my royalty. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, speaking of the drift scene, we were just talking to uh, some uh, the team manager for Heart of Racing, and they, they oh, are cool. now drifting mm-hmm. the aston martin v12 <laughs> no way so are they oh, yeah formula <laughs> star. They've got it for heart of racing like aston martin backed pretty cool to see that coming uh kind of making a resurgence i should i should say uh with factory money yeah yeah, that's pretty crazy because I know obviously Harder Racing has some pretty serious programs. They just won Daytona, yeah, exactly. you know, like yeah, pretty crazy to see a team like that involved in drifting. Normally, it's a a lot of self made guys like Von Gittner, mm-hmm. Forsberg that took you know they they were guys that were passionate about it and took the sponsorship dollars and made their own team. To hear Heart of Racing is involved, I hadn't heard that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, they're doing. They have an all women's race team coming as well. That's doing very well. So I mean, they're really yeah. spreading out. But Gabe is a, a huge car guy, so it's yeah. cool to see him actually back in the sport in different. Ways. We were pretty excited to hear Aston Martin was doing it, though. Uh, what's your drift entry going to be? Uh, I can't okay. say. Okay. okay. I, was wondering, I was wondering. If there is one. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm excited. Uh, not an FD, but uh, I definitely want to get into some drifting, and it's funny. My E36 that started as a time attack car, uh, I think we're actually going to turn that into a drift car. Oh, cool. So, so you still own I will it. Get That's involved awesome. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I still own it. I'm horrible at selling anything. Oh, what else is in the fleet? <laughs> um, so... I have the NSX, I have a Lotus Elise track car, I have the E36 M3, I have an AE86, I have a Datsun 280Z that were kind of like backdating and turning to a fun, cool car, and uh, a Tundra and a Silverado, so those ones aren't quite as nice. That sounds happy. That's awesome. I was going to say, those sound, that sounds yeah. like a great diverse collection. Right. Yeah. And the fun part is also my girlfriend's very into this, so she also has an NSX and an EK Civic that's her track car. So lots of lots of toys in the fleet. <laughs> no jealousy in our voices at yeah. all. Yeah, no, <laughs> off the car too. That's great so. for you, but um, <laughs> <laughs> not in no. <laughs> That's awesome. You guys can do that together. Though. Is she is she racing then? You said. Yeah, she, uh, well, she does like a lot of time attack. She's also like an excellent driver. Like uh, Motor Trend and Super Street used to host an event called FF Battle, mm-hmm. which are like all the front wheel drive guys would get together. And like she won that. She won a VTEC Club Championship. So she's uh, she's a little bit of a beast behind the That's wheel. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Like she loves the Elise, and normally she'll like set a track time and then try to dirtbag me into beating her. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's not fair. Light car, light girl. That, that doesn't yeah. count. Yeah, yeah, March is Women's <laughs> Month, and we say we've got a quite a quite a bit going on up here for Women's Month. If she wants to come check out rallies, you know, just saying. Yeah, that'd be cool. She'd probably be down. Uh, have you had a Have you had a chance to get your hands on a McLaren and, and uh, play with it? As I, I know you've been uh, you've been coaching, but I mean, something that, I've gotten yeah. to drive quite a few. I haven't gone to modify them. I have a good buddy that uh, has a 12C that we've played around with, and he's done a lot of mods to it. And, you know, talk about one of the most tunable cars out there in terms of supercars yeah. and, you know, the capability. Like, it makes you love McLarens even more. You just need to make sure you have the pockets deep enough for when you know, sure. things go south. Yeah, <laughs> yeah which if, they kind of do with yeah. British anything, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> they are very cool. What's uh, what's next on the list for RS Future? What uh Irons in the fire. Do you guys have for uh, products? Because you guys are developing downforce still. I mean, you guys sell a lot of uh, aero products. So correct, correct. So before, since I was a pretty hardcore like motorsports guy, all of our products were bespoke. So it would be someone that's racing hits me up and says, "Hey, I want a one-off. Like, I want to go uh, compete. Can you make a you know a kit for my car?" And it would be a very time-consuming thing, and I would do it. And it was you know something I really enjoyed. Like on the, I would say in the West Coast of the fastest time attack cars out here, we probably have our arrow on like 80% Sweet. of them, which was very cool. Uh, but what happened was my time started to get very limited. And then also just being you know realistic from a business perspective, uh, kits started to make a little more sense. So in the last six to eight months, we've been developing a lot of kits to have essentially like bolt-on uh, arrow packages for a lot of the you know, common popular packages. So I actually have a guy here scanning a A90 Supra right now. That is one of our kits coming up, you know, like GR86, yeah. 
you know, that kind of stuff. I saw your Porsche kit. I was jealous. That, that was, real wing is just oh, gorgeous. The, I mean, just the stance that's <laughs> coming up. I just love it. Yeah. 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 Sexy. You're too kind. Car porn, You're too kind. Big time car porn. <laughs> I, I know. Oh. That GT3 kit. Yeah. I, just, I love yeah, functional sure. arrow. Like it's and, and with yeah. Porsches, you can really get away with that massive functional arrow because. At that height where you can eat a hamburger on top? No, sorry. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I would be lying if I said we haven't used it for right? that. <laughs> like, uh, even when we're at the track. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> when we're at the track and it's lunchtime, people will normally throw Absolutely. their burgers and whatnot on the wing of the cars. <laughs> Full duty. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, it, it's it's incredible. So talk about the process. So you bring a car in, like, like if we can talk about the Super, like how, how does a kit start yeah. and, and how does it come to fruition? Yeah, so we'll start by 3D scanning the car. So we'll have like a nice mesh of the car. We'll know exactly what it is. Very, very accurate uh, model of the car. And then we'll look at like our, our wings are fairly functional compared to a lot of the competitors. So one thing we worry about is, are we going to destroy the trunk or deck lid of the car? Like the Super is a big concern because it's a composite deck lid uh, or hatch. And literally we've seen them fold in half. Uh, so... Then we go into kind of an engineering process of, all right, how do we design uh, a mount that's going to interface with either the body or something else to help, you know, manage the loads. Uh, then we make something that's also very aesthetically pleasing. Um, style is very important for me uh, in terms of like race cars. I think, you know, what's the point of going fast if you don't look cool? So we try to integrate that into our products uh, and, you know, find a good balance for that. Then we'll go through, you know, draw it up in CAD and make all the mounts, everything we need. And everything we do is CNC'd. We try to have like high quality billet parts, all of the uprights, like the wing mounts that go from the trunk to the wing are carbon fiber. The wing is like full carbon fiber made by aerospace manufacturers here in the, uh, Southern California. And, uh, you know, uh, from there, we'll kind of run some testing on the car on track. We found that that works the best. You know, CFD is a little bit of uh, uh, I would say misleading a lot of the time. So we'll do a lot of track testing and then from there, deliver it to the client. Cool. Very cool. What are your thoughts on active arrow? Amazing. Like if you can ma make it work. Yeah. Like, uh, uh, active arrow is something that could be, you know, very functional and great if you have the capability. The problem is the, a lot of your testing would have to be, it'd have to be very best practices. So a lot of people try to get very fancy with their arrow kits and you see all sorts of, uh, you know, CFD pictures from a lot of aero manufacturers, and I like to call it like garbage in pretty pictures out, you know, which is what a lot of people buy. And uh, in terms of like CFD and whatnot, uh, you'll see like I've, uh, one of the guys that helps me with my CFD is an aerodynamicist that worked in F1, uh, a couple of them, and even talking to them, like the, uh, I guess you say the accuracy, it's only within about 10%. Mm. So if them at that level, it's that far off, which they need to be within a tenth of a percent, a lot of the guys locally, or a lot of the guys that do it kind of, I guess, as a hobby or as a something you sell isn't quite there. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that is, would you consider that system on Lamborghini an active system? That, that, oh, yeah. 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 I was thinking McLaren when I was talking about it with yeah. their rear wings, but yeah. Uh, the, all good stuff. Like yeah. on a, on that aspect of it, it's very like blunt instrument. You know, it's like the wing goes up, the wing goes down. Yeah. They have flaps that close and open. That stuff's excellent. And someone like McLaren does have the ability to run that kind of level of accuracy. Right, that's a little different than I was thinking bespoke when I was asking the question. Oh, okay. The, the, the McLaren okay. made me think of it, but yeah, I've seen a lot of the new the new hotness in the aftermarket is Active Aero, but I've yeah. always been kind of curious. Like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. A lot more moving parts, <laughs> literally. Yeah. So, so it looks yeah. cool, but yeah. I don't know how functional it's going to be because I don't see a lot of actual yeah. race cars with it bolted on. I just see a lot of fixed wing stuff at the track. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's very tough because a lot of most race classes don't allow it. Mm. And then the ones that do, the guys that are making parts for it, let's say they're trying their best. Well, and most of the time when you see Active Aero, it's on really, really expensive cars. Wyra's, Bugatti's, things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah where you're going to have the investment from the factory. Yeah. But there's so, nothing better yeah. than hitting the brake on McLaren and watching that rear wing come up. So <laughs> it's really yeah. cool yeah. doing the rear view mirror. Yeah, that is very yeah. Yeah. and very functional. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there something you want to work on that you haven't gotten your hands on yet? Oof. Um, you know, I'm pretty fortunate in the sense that I get to work on pretty much everything I want to. And our NSX is a big test bed for what we do. And in terms of, you know, goals and being fast, like our goal for that car, we just switched classes. And it's to be the fastest 
production-based car in North America, like period. So anything that, like in Time Attack, our goal is to be the fastest Time Attack car in North America. And anything that came from the factory as a production-based body, we want to beat that. So I would say after we accomplish that goal, there won't be much that I really care to work on. Or should I say, like, I have a big desire to. Sure. Go, go do hill climbing. Yeah. Pike Speak, call your name. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I've actually, I'll be working Pikes Peak this year and worked it two years ago. Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> fun place. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I'm, I'm trying to think of something else he could do, like just go work in a factory somewhere, <laughs> like, you know, assemble Corvettes in like you know, uh, Kentucky. Yeah. Know, like, geez, yeah, that'd be cool. What are you seeing in the automotive market that's coming out of some of these manufacturers that you like? Like, what, what, what out? What's coming out or? In terms of like OEs or yeah, I like to. I love to know when people are in what people in the industry are looking at and saying that's really cool. Um, you know, good question. I would say cars that are exciting, like the GR86, in terms of being like something anyone can afford. Mm. I think is an excellent car, and I hated FRSs. So when we got into the GR86, I was expecting to hate it and fell in love with the car and was like, "That's amazing!" From like an everyday man's perspective. Uh, I know a lot of the cars that are coming out are very unreasonably ex uh, expensive. Like they're just dream cars that none of us will ever attain. But things like the Valkyrie and cars in that realm, oh, I beautiful. think are incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So from an OE perspective, that's probably the car that uh, has me the most excited. What about the new Z? Pass. Huh? Fair. <laughs> Fair. You're not the first person that has said that. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that are Next. madly in love with it. There's a lot of people that aren't. Obviously, there's a lot of people that want to get their hands on the manual. I mean, same thing with the Supra, um, you know, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely probably going to upset a lot of your listeners when I say, like, I couldn't care less about a manual transmission. Like, if I never drive a manual transmission again, it'd be, like, the greatest day of my life. Uh, you know, well, it comes to speed. Sequen yeah. Sequentials and DCTs and all of that fun stuff, they're so good. Uh but uh, no, like the Z, I'm just not a big Nissan guy. I'll put it to you that way. And I think there's a lot better products on the market. And Nissan in general is a pretty disappointing company. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you hey, know. Send hate mail to, no. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can, trust no, no, me. No, no, I know no, I have no. strong opinions. I think that's important, especially in the no, automotive world. But I think that's kind of fun in the fact that you're able to sit there and go, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. I mean, it's, you know, it's a pretty car or whatever, but, you know, that's not what you like. That's not what you like. But Nissan's cutting edge. Yeah. They just released their new 15-year-old GTR. Yeah, exactly. Even after lying to everybody I'm, that bought the last the, the last one and then they released another one? Yeah. 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 And, and the new Z is kind of in that realm as well. The engine's pretty good. I will say, like, Nissan has surprisingly made some pretty good engines. Like, oh, yeah. the VR38 out of the GTR is phenomenal. The engine that's in the Z is pretty amazing. So I do like their engines. Uh, everything else can... Uh, <laughs> no, thank you. Sure, no, I, they're, they're one of those companies that I'm just shocked is still around, honestly. Because I don't know anybody yes. who's excited for Nissan as a whole. I mean, th there's people who love the Z, and I, and I get, totally get that audience, and people who love the GTR. Well, they're bread and butter. But they're butter, so long in the and, tooth. And minivans yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Not, I mean. but my favorite thing about Nissan is Ultima videos on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> you never seen the, the Ultima video trend? No, I guess I missed that. If there's a oh, bad dude. thing happening with a car, it's oh, a it's Charger Ultima. and Ultima. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I got you. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like yeah. some of that just rolled in series see. stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Ultima's always have a minimum of one to two dented panels, and no matter what the speed limit is, they're always driving like 120 miles <laughs> yes. per hour in the craziest people out there. So, so I love Ultima's. Okay. I think they're pretty That's amazing. Fair. That's fair. I always find there's one video I watched where somebody was talking about a decent Ultima, and they're like, "Wow, this thing's actually fine. This car is fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> Everything about this car is fine." <laughs> and they're like, "There's worse things to call a car." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> At least it's not a Lada. <laughs> Point. Counterpoint. Yeah. What, uh, have you ever had any chance to do any rally? Uh, it's something I would absolutely love to do. Like, I try to kind of uh, get experience in any form of motorsport I can. It's just one that's so far away from, you know, your typical motorsport that it's hard to get some experience in. But I've considered buying, like, a cheap Civic and doing rally crosses, kind of like yeah. an entry, since we have a couple of events out here in, uh, in Southern California. Yeah. But uh, I wish I could, and uh, I think in your neck of the woods, you guys have some cool places to do it. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, well, dirtfish. Dirt yeah. We've got dirtfish up here, yeah, so I mean, exactly. it's, uh, I mean, it's uh, it's just interesting. I bring it up because you know the the world's kind of been rocked. You know, yeah, Travis Pastrana will not be. Yeah, so he's not joining us here. So um, well, it's just you know kind of interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you got two trucks too. What about off road? Because a lot of people out of. <laughs> I'm going to put this out there for our Northwest listeners. A lot of people oddly don't know that California 
sure, surprisingly has a huge off-road community. Oh, yeah. Massive. But <laughs> just lots of places to go st- get stuck in the middle of a desert and die. There's tons <laughs> of places. Lots of mountains, yeah. actually. Yeah. Have, yeah. have you ever de- dove into that world a little bit? No, I have quite a few friends, like, when the whole overlanding thing kind of went crazy. Mm-hmm. Southern California, naturally, like, every time you turn around, there's, like, a Forerunner or a Land Cruiser or a Tacoma that's, like, full-on uh, that outfit. You have to have something uh, so to go and sit at the beach with. I mean, come on, man. Shots <laughs> <laughs> me. Like, uh, it, you know, you need your rooftop tent for when you head to, uh, you know, Rodeo Drive. Yeah. On top of the car, when the floods come through, you're, you're safe and dry. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but we do have quite a few nice off-road kind of areas around here, and uh, no, I'm not. Unfortunately, time-wise, I haven't gotten to do it, but that doesn't mean I don't love it. Right. I'm just curious. No, I wouldn't love it. I might enjoy it. Never know. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. You can jump a lot of things off-road. Just saying. That is true. Baja mode is your downfall, Mr. Button. <laughs> Baja mode. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I know you do. What yeah. other hobbies do you have outside of the car world? Is this, I mean, I know it takes up all your time, but I, there's always some facet to somebody. Obviously, you're a data geek, which I love. And yeah. Stuff, computers. I'm a little broken. The only thing I really care about is cars. That's <laughs> I couldn't care fine. less about anything else. Nobody in our audience can relate at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's not working out for him. So, no, yeah. not at all. So that's the problem. Yeah. Jeez, oh, that's great. Yeah, and he got something to do it with. So yeah. even better. Exactly. Yeah, it's like he has all these cars. He has a girlfriend that likes cars and drives cars. Where Where is the bad side of his yeah, life? No, no downsides. So, yeah. my <laughs> I'll no. tell you. I'll tell you. Yeah, is, racing is a great way to spend a lot of money. I guess that's the bad side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's a rewarding way to spend a lot of money. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I disagree. You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, it has been great having you on the show, Amir. Uh, if our listeners want to get a hold of you, what's your Instagram? You have two. You have the RS Future, of course, and then you have your own. Which um... Yeah, so you can find me at uh, RS Future underscore Amir on Instagram, and then the shop's at RS Future. And uh, YouTube, all of the other stuff, website is all just RS Future. And where is your shop actually located for mm-hmm. so people know? Yeah, we have a shop in Rancho Cucamonga in Southern California. We also have a shop in Southern California in uh, El Monte. Oh, wow. I didn't know you guys were in two locations. That's very cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, he has all that time on his hands. He can be in two places at once. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. We look forward to seeing what you've got coming up. Uh, Let us know um, as soon as you launch in your Discovery World. I'm really curious what's going to come of that because I can't wait to watch. And then we'll let our listeners know too. MG2, Monster Garage 2. Come on. He's the new Jesse James. Everybody can see this. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Get us an interview with Taylor. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Get me in the room. <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> uh, amazing. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we really appreciate it. Uh, for this episode of the Avance Podcast, as always, I'm Nick. I'm Dan, and don't just get there. Enjoy the drive. <laughs>